Today we're uh, be going to begin a new series. Um, I really enjoyed the last series, In My Right Mind. Anybody enjoy that series at all? That last? I really like Man, I just wish I could do that one again. That was just so much fun for me. But today we begin a new one. And we're going to travel through a New Testament letter called Ephesians. I think we're going to end on the first Sunday in January. Uh, It's not a verse-by-verse per se. It's a topical through the book. uh, But it it carries a lot of of great stuff because we're going to look at uh, our idea's identity, who we are. Because too many people walk around thinking that this when God says or that. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, God makes a lot of claims about who I now am and what I now have in Jesus. Because the who I am translates into how I am, how I live, how do I act out, how how, how I do this, how I do that. And as we go through the letter, you're going to see a lot of those things, very practical stuff as we go through, because it covers a wide range of, uh, of just living. So today we're going to begin with this uh, first chapter. It's the idea of that we are all, as a person of faith, who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're all adopted into the family of God. So with that said, let me say this. Um, It was years ago that I was, uh, I don't know if I bought it or somebody handed it to me, but it was a book on temperaments, the personality profile. It's the choleric, sanguine, melancholy and phlegmatic. How many have ever heard of that one right there? Raise your hand. Okay. And so uh, I found out that I was a choleric primary and a secondary melancholy. So I've been studying that off and on for years of my life. And then about a month and a half ago, I had heard about this thing that had been around, I guess, for four or 500 years. It's called the Enneagram. Has anyone ever heard of an Enneagram? Anybody know an Enneagram? Enneagram? Anybody else? Enneagram? Over here, Enneagram? Okay. So I bought this book on Enneagram a month and a half ago, and it breaks you down into nine different categories of what your personality style is. And mine, uh, I'm a number eight, which I like because eight is the number of new beginnings in the Bible, and I really like that. But eight is called the challenger. And uh, I I read up on it, and there was a line in there that... um, It said that, I go, I've been saying that all my life. And it's right there in that book all about me. And here's what it said, the challengers, one one of the aspects of a challenger, number eight, is this. It said, if I'm on a team and you're on my team, you better give 150% or you better get off the team. Anybody know what that feels like inside your soul to be a child? Anybody raise your hand on it? There's only a few of us in this room. You know what it feels like? Yeah, right. They better give 150%, right? Because I'm giving 265%. And so they better give it. So that's, that's how I am. But how I am is one thing. But who I am is another thing. Because who leads into the how. Now, who am I? And who, who are you? Because that's a big deal. When I was... Um, well, I think some of you know this, maybe not all of you know this, but I've, I think I've shared it. My, my last name is not just Del Campo. My last name is Martin Del Campo. It's, it's the full last name. We don't use the Martin because it is so long. Try to write that thing out. So everybody takes Martin as their middle name, even the girls. 
They're all named Martin Del Campo. So, but here's the deal. My father, who, um, his father was actually murdered uh, when my dad was a little over a year old in Mexico, in Los Altos de Jalisco, Mexico. So at that time, that's when they brought my father to America around 1916. If my father was still alive, it's incredible to think, but he'd be 105 years old. And I'm like 29. That's incredible to think that. <laughs> but when he came here, his mother remarried. And uh, she gave him the stepdad's last name. So my dad grew up, in all of his yearbooks, his name is, his first name, John. His name was uh, Johnny Ramirez. Now, nothing wrong with the Ramirez name. I have a real good friend on the camera, their last name Ramirez. But that wasn't my last name. So when he met my mother, when my mother found out, and my mother is like an eight Enneagram on steroids is what she was. Real challenger. Uh, when he met her, the way she told me the story, she passed uh, 17 years ago. The way she told me the story was she told, she said, Johnny, um, if you don't take back your real name, I'm not going to marry you. And I guess he really liked her. So he took back his real name. And so we're all Martin Del Campos in the family. And I say that to say this, that I, I could have grown up thinking I was this person, when really I am that person. And I think a lot of people do that. I, in fact, I know that down deep in the gut of all of us, I think there are times when we'd like, we wonder or something, who am I really? What, what am I all about? And what am I supposed to be and do and everything else? We can wonder that even into our old age. Now, how many of you are from the 60s and 70s. Raise your hand. Anybody from? Okay, that just means they're old, guys. Look around you right now. <laughs> and they took a time machine to the present. I'm from the 60s and 70s. And those of you from that era, do you remember back, I think I was around 18 years old when this started to happen. It became big. That people um, were actually quitting college and quitting jobs for up to a year, maybe two, to travel or figure out who they were. Anybody remember that kind of stuff? That was really big. They want to know, who am I? And nowadays, if somebody wanted to quit the job for a year and to figure out who they were, we tell them, are you out of your mind? Don't be quitting any job. But back then, that was really popular because the people said, I, I just want to know who I am. I want to know who I am. And so I think that still resonates today. And in this book of Ephesians... Um, it begins by a really strong intro of our identity. Who are we? And then once, it, um, once it's founded, it now jumps into how am I? How do I live? How do I behave? And it progresses into some spiritual gifts. And then it moves on even into marriage. It moves on into family, uh, how that all works. And then it moves forward into how I operate in spiritual warfare. So it covers a lot, but it all begins with my identity and who I am. So we're going to read now the key verse for the entire series. If you're newer to New Beginnings, we always have a key verse or two 
for our series. We read that. Hopefully, it's the only verse I have you read today. But I want you to read this verse. I'm going to count to three. Those of you at home, read out loud, because I can see on the reverse people right here. I'm going to count to three. Read it out loud. Here we go. One, two, three, four. His workmanship. Creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. They would walk in them. Now, the reason that verse is our verse, and we'll use this much more in the third week of the series, is the word workmanship. We are God's workmanship as a follower of Christ. Now, we get our word from the word workmanship. We get our word poem. So we are God's poem. God is writing, like a writer writes a poem, the lines of our life if we submit to his will. And his will becomes very big in this first chapter. Now, how many know all of us have written a few lines in our life that were not God's will and we paid the price for those lines, right? You know, we know that. So, but we're also learning that if I, if I follow God's will and let him write the lines of my life, sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes it's difficult, but it always pans out and it works out much better. So, with that said, our tagline for the series is, you were, but you are. Say that with me. You were, but you are. And you'll see that in the third week also, specifically where it says, you were, but you are. In other words, we were like this, and if you put your faith in Christ as a follower of Christ, you are this now. You are everything that God declares you to be. So I'm going to ask you to open up, if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians New Testament letter, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first three verses, lightly comment, then I'm going to give you four points as I pick out certain things in the chapter. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3, it says this. Paul. Now Paul, remember, this writer of this letter, he hated Christians, didn't want to be a Christian, then met the risen Christ, becomes a Christian, then he becomes a church planter, and then he writes 13, possibly 14 New Testament letters, because we don't know if he wrote Hebrews or not. It's debatable. It says he's an apostle of Christ. An apostle means one sent out to, for, to minister with the gospel. We're all called to be sent out. But an apostle of Christ, by, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, the will of God is always according to the word of God. Now, <clears throat> to the saints who are at Ephesus. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and it was a pretty good-sized city. It was uh, uh, Greek-colonized in the Roman Empire, and they had one of the eight wonders of the ancient world there, the Temple to Artemis. Romans called it Diana. So it's in Ephesus. Who are, the, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's writing to those who walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 2, big sequence of events here. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice first he says grace and then what? And then peace. It's important, I think. Because grace is God's favor to you and I. You can't earn it. You, we can't work for it. I can't do enough good stuff to earn God's favor. God just graces me. And when I understand that from my Father in heaven that he graces me, then I can have peace because no matter what happens, no matter if I fail, no matter if this, God always favors me. And if God always favors me, then I can have peace in my life. Any amen? See, this is what we struggle with in relationships. And I think it's because if we grew up in a family where you didn't get a lot of grace, 
where there's a lot of rules and you're wrong and there's a lot of this, it's hard for you to understand grace. But you can get to that point. And you always were wondering, where do I stand with my parent? Where do I stand? Because is there going to be bad today? Am I going to be angry? Am I going to get it wrong? So you had no peace. Now listen closely, this is important. That's why some of you in relationships today, whether it's marriage or dating, you wonder, where do I stand with this person? How many know what I'm talking about? There's an insecurity there. But it's based on the fact that you never understood grace. You never understood how you were favored. And therefore, you don't understand peace. And as you come to Christ and you become a follower, the more you understand and accept the grace of God, the greater peace you have. That you don't wander around. You're not in groups and in relationships or at work or wherever wondering, where do I stand with these people? Do they like me? Do they, do, you won't even matter anymore because you will have peace because of the grace of God upon your life. Does that make sense to anybody here? Say amen. Because that's a free one. You didn't even have to tithe on that. Okay. So verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every, not partial, but every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says that he has blessed us, the word blessed, it's an interesting word Paul uses because it's the word that we get our word, eulogy. And I like that because if you've ever been to a funeral, no matter how bad the person was in life that's in that casket, you know you can't say anything bad about them. Any amens? No matter how, you got, oh, they were a great guy. You know, they murdered eight people, but you know, they're a great guy, you know. So eulogy, eulogy is where you speak good of. So that's telling us that God, who favors us through his grace, speaks good of you and speaks good of me. He's not walking through heaven going, well, you know, I don't know about that gym. No, he's speaking good about us, okay? Now, here we go. Four points. I hope you take notes. Number one, as we build the first foundation in this series, Number one, others saw a stinker, but God saw a saint. And would anybody say amen on that one right there? Now look at verse four. Watch this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Let me tell you what's going on here. God chose you and God chose me before the foundation of the world. That means this. That before God ever created anything, before he created the, the universe and the galaxies and the solar system and planet earth and everything on it, before he ever created any human to put on earth, before all of that started, God in the foundation, before the foundation, God looked into the future because God, God lives in the before and in the during and in the after simultaneously because you and I live in a time continuum. We live in time God exists outside of time. God created time and we exist in it. But God's outside of it. God always has been, always was, never created, no beginning and no end. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what does. But because he exists outside of it, he can look into the future because he lives in the before, during, and after. He looks in the future and he could see every one of us in this room, who we were going to be, what it's all about. He could see it all. You could see everything. Now, let me give you a couple of uh, verses that are theologically founded for you to, to get an idea of what I'm talking about for your life and mine. When it comes to adoption, then I'm going to kind of pound that one home. Watch. Watch Jeremiah 1.5. Watch this. 
This is God speaking to Jeremiah, but he might as well be saying it to you. Before I formed you in the womb, I... Say it louder. I... I knew you. That mean you pre-existed. It just means that God could see you in the future and he saw you and he knew you already. He said, I'm going to create that person. And before you were born, I consecrated. In other words, God set you apart for something. There's a reason. It's not a mistake. Well, you don't know how I was conceived. Doesn't matter. You're not a mistake. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's for Jeremiah But he's appointed you. He's pointed you in a direction. You may not know it yet. You may not understand it. But you start knowing God, knowing his word, you'll you'll see it. But he's appointed you in a certain way. See, you're not an accident. There's something for you. Now watch Psalm 139. And this is all God stuff way before the foundation of the world, way before you came on the scene. Watch what the psalmist says about, here's God speaking. He's speaking to God. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance before I was even created. You saw me. And in your book were all written. God's got a big book. All written the days that were ordained for me. In other words, God, you've written down everything I'm supposed to be in life. And yeah, I messed it up. And yeah, I've done things wrong. But God, in your book, you said, this is what I could be. There's a potential of my life. When as yet, God wrote it down. When as yet, guys, he wrote it down. When as yet, he wrote it down. When as yet, there was not even one day of my life yet. Does that blow anybody's mind yet? That God had all this in store if we would just follow his way. Let me tell you what that means. God looked in the future. And he saw us before we ever came to Christ. How many of you did some pretty stupid stuff before you came to Christ? He saw you and I as a stinker. And he said, no, there's potential there. And he still loved us even though he saw us at our worst. If God loved us at our worst and he chose us knowing us at our worst, will he always love us? Say yes. Yes. Okay, let me tell you how it works. Let me tell you how it works. You're not going to believe this. It's going to shock you. But my wife and I, before I was a Christian, I ran into her. She met me about two years before I became a Christian. And when she met me, she couldn't stand me. And I know that's shocking. Because you're thinking, you're such a great person, you know. She couldn't, she didn't like me at all. She said I was obnoxious and arrogant. And she had all these adjectives that I, I did not enjoy listening to. And she didn't like me, man. She just, oh, I don't like this guy at all. And then about two years go by. And I became a Christian. And my life just turned turned on a dime and then she ran into me again and that time she looked at me I'll never forget her words she said I want to date you buddy (laughs) well that's that's what I assumed she was thinking (laughs) and 38 years later here we are huh (laughs) I don't need any comments from the sections out there okay if you're sitting around my wife. Now, she didn't like me before, before I met Christ. I was a stinker. But she thought I was pretty okay after I met Christ. Here's my statement. Aren't you glad God is not like my wife, Olivia? <laughs> Any amens? It's okay to say amen around her if you're sitting around her. Okay. Here's why. 
Because she didn't like me as a stinker. She only liked me after God did a few things in my life. Aren't you glad God is not like that? Aren't you glad God loved you and I even when he saw what stinkers we were and he saw what potential there is? Anybody say amen to that one right there? That's right. He loved you at your worst. That means he'll love you all the time. So God, uh, people saw us as stinkers. God saw the potential. God saw us as saints. Now, here we go. Point two in your notes, and that is this. God adopts stinkers. And aren't you glad for that? Watch verse five. It says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So now God adopts us. God brings us in. Now, here's what you got to know about adoption. Because you and I, we hear the word somebody adopted. We, we instantly, probably, our mind moves to, oh, you adopted a baby. Not in the first century Roman Empire. They didn't adopt babies. They had, babies died. They adopted grown-ups. Now, can you imagine if you're, let's say you're 30 years old and you're married and, and wife, you're home cooking and your husband's driving home on the 91 and you know he's going to get home a certain time and he comes to the door and he says, wifey, I got a, a surprise for you. We have adopted someone. And he goes, let me introduce you to, you know, Enrique or whatever his name is, you know. And in walks this 25-year-old guy. And you're like, honey, could I have a word with you in the other room? You, you know, you, he's, he's a grown-up. Yeah, well, we just adopted him. Can you imagine you go to Galleria and you got a massive stroller? And somebody says, oh, you, you have a baby? Oh, we just adopted him. And you, go, you look at the baby and go, oh! And, and you go, and the, ba- and the baby 20 goes, hi there, how are you? That would be weird, wouldn't it? I mean, but just think about it. If you adopt a 25-year-old, are they already set in their ways? Yeah. Say yes louder. Yeah. They have their own way of going about things, right? Yeah. I mean, they might, there might be an argument how, how the toilet tissue should roll off the roller, right? It, how many think the toilet tissue should roll over the top towards you? And raise your hand. You, you're, you're going to heaven. That's... <laughs> That's exactly the way God intended it to be. It should never roll under light. I don't even know why people would think that, right? I mean, also, how many of you know, or how many of you, you, you squeeze the, the toothpaste from the bottom. How many of you get the toothpaste, if it's squeezed from the top, it kind of irks you a little bit. You need prayer, i just tell you right now. So there's different ways. I mean, think about Thanksgiving coming up. What if that 25-year-old, you pull the, how many like yams? How many, if they pull the yams out of the oven and, and, he, and he says, why aren't there marshmallows on top of those yams? on top? And he says, that's not the way I'm used to it. How many of you like marshmallows on top of your yams? Okay, you're not going to heaven. That's a wrong choice. <laughs> that's really wrong, Okay. You know, no marshmallows on the ends are good enough by themselves, okay? Yes. But you, but you see, we all have... Now, here's the point. If you adopted a 25-year-old, how much patience would you have to practice just to get along with that person? A lot. Of, now, think about this. How much patience does God have to practice 
When you and I come into the family of God as a 20, 25, 30, 40-year-old. A lot, huh? Can you imagine? I can't imagine, you know, the Holy Spirit looking at, really, Jesus? You adopted that guy right there, Jim? He's a mess right there. We've got a lot of patience on that guy right there. We've got to have. God has tremendous patience in the adoption process. He adopted us people. Now, number three in your notes, and that's this. Adopted people adopt family values. Would you agree? You've got to adopt family values. Now, I'm going to read four verses. And there's a key theme in the four verses. Let's see if you can pick it out. And you're smart. You will. Verse one, again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm going to help you. By the... Huh? What? Oh, the will of God. Okay. Verse five. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus, through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of... See, I'm, I'm helping you. Okay. Verse, verse nine. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Now, in the middle, he said he made known to us the mystery of his will. His, oh, his will. Okay. Verse 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. We'll get to that in a second. Having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So four times his will in, in 11 verses. So I think it's telling me that when I put my faith in Jesus, I start walking according to his will, right? I, I take on the family values. Am I right? Something like that? I take on the characteristics of the family. Okay. Let me give you a great verse on this one because how many of you would, would admit out loud? Sometimes it's really tough obeying that stuff. Would you? I mean, some, it's just tough. The rest of you would find it so easy. God bless you guys, okay? I mean, sometimes it's just tough. It's difficult. And, and you ever feel like, I, I just can't obey that one. That's hard. Anybody ever feel that way? It's tough. Well, you know, God has done something that gives us the power to obey. Watch. Titus 3, 5. It says this. And this is a verse every Christian should really, if, you, if I said memorize a verse, memorize this one. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. In other words, none of us could save ourselves. We couldn't do enough good stuff. We do too much bad stuff. But God said, okay, I'm going to grace you. I'm going to come. I'm going to save you. But according to his mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve hell because of sin. But we put our faith in Christ. The blood of Jesus washes us. And man, we get mercy. By the washing of, say the word, regeneration. And say the word. Renewing by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So there's a regeneration and a renewing by the Holy Spirit. Now here's how it works. I like to say it like this to give it kind of a homey feel. Regeneration, I'd say God at the moment of salvation, when I put my faith in Christ, the Spirit of God came in me and He regenerated me. Gave me new genes, new DNA inside of me by the Holy Spirit. And therefore the Holy Spirit now begins a process inside of me of renewing me. And there's a power in there that allows me now to live what this word says. Uh, do you understand so far? Okay. Um, so last Sunday after church, after third service, I had planned this getaway for two days. And I went to Ontario Airport, and I flew out to the Bear to visit my really rich friend. It's always a good time. <laughs> and so... 
one of the key things was, and I have a little more time in the third, so we, we go out to Sonoma Country, have lunch there, and then he lets me drive his Bentley all the way back. He says, press that button there. It was a back massager as I'm driving. <laughs> well, that night we go, because the whole thing was we're going to go see a Golden State Warriors basketball game. And how many know they've gone from the best team in basketball to? They're the worst. My buddy has season tickets, VIP. He bought a 30-year contract this year on that one. And now he's really upset because they stink. I mean, he's mad. I mean, you ever been, have so much in life and so many things and you're still mad? He's angry. So we go to the game. And he's like, he's, I don't know, 30 years I've been. So we go in there, we got our VIP tags on. Walk in, first off, you go into a lounge. You're a VIP, it's part of the package. And they have all the you-can-eat food there. I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm gonna go, load up, man, here we go. And uh, oh, Coca-Cola, cherry Coke, yes. And another one, please. <laughs> Bring it, just keep bringing it, man. And you can go to your seats and keep going in and out all night long during the game. So we eat, uh, and we go to the game. We walk out of the, in the tunnel on the floor, and he's got fifth row seats. So I'm sitting there watching Golden State and Utah Jazz. Fifth row. I'm like, this is fantastic. He's watching the game, and yeah, they're terrible. They stink, man. It's bad. But I'm having a great time. <laughs> and so he says, you know, I have a friend here, because they've met the people around him now that are season ticket holders. And he's my friend. And he starts talking to his friend over there, and then he's... Yeah. The 49er game was on that night also. And so he gets up. I'm going back to the lounge. I'm watching the 49er game on the big screen in there. Okay, go ahead. So I'm sitting there watching the game, and it's fantastic. And I'm sitting here. His seat's empty. And this friend he met now, he didn't know her before he got these seats. Her and her sister were sitting, sitting next to him. I'm watching the game, having a great time. And the lady, after about five, ten minutes, starts talking to me. I'm like, I want to watch the game. <laughs> you know, you get this all the time. I, this is once a year for me. And she, she starts talking, and so I, okay. So I, I'm like, because I'm leaning, because, you know, it's, it's loud in there. And she's a chatty catty. <laughs> I mean, she's chatty, and she's a fast talker. And she tells me, she goes, starts talking. She's telling me her whole life story. I didn't even ask. <laughs> she says, I, I'm half Native American Indian and I'm half African American. You know, that's great. <laughs> There's a game on. And, and then she says this, she says, you know, she starts talking about tribes. Tri I don't know about tribes. And then she says, you know, like the 12 tribes, you know, oh, you mean of Israel? I said, you mean 12 tribes of Israel? She goes, you know about them? <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit about the 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> she goes, well, how do you know? I go, you know, I'm a Christian. She goes, what kind? <laughs> I mean, she was nonstop. And I go, I, I, I'm the real kind. <laughs> and then, and she gives me her second, she goes, high five. Everything's high five. 
And, and then she goes, no, like what? And I said, I don't know. I never, I rarely, I, I shouldn't say never, but I rarely say this when people ask, but I said it that night. I said, lady, get out of my face. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. When she wanted to know what kind, I said, here's what I said. I said, I'm a born again, spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, tongue-speaking Christian. And she looks at me and she says, high five. <laughs> so I gave her a high five. And, you know, and, and I start to share with her and it turns out her sister's like, she goes, my sister's like you. And then she says, she goes, but I'm a backslidden Christian. I thought, oh God, this is why I'm here tonight. This is my buddies in the lounge, angry at the game and everything else. And I'm here to minister to her. I start ministering to this lady and, and talking to her. And then she says this. She goes, I didn't know that there were any of like you around from around here. And I said, I'm not from around here. <laughs> I'm from that spiritual area of Corona Norco. Riverside. I'm not, from, I'm not from here. And here's the thing, guys. When you put your faith in Christ, you're not from here anymore. You're not from here. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And you're different now. At least you should be progressing to be different. So that when you share and when you talk and the way you carry yourself... Somebody, every so often says, you're not from around here, huh? No, I'm not. My citizenship is in heaven from where I eagerly await a Savior. And I got the Spirit of God in me. He's re-DNA'd me and He's renewing me by the Spirit of God. And I'm not from around here. I'm an adopted child of God. I was a stinker. Now I'm a saint. And God knew all about me, but he still wanted me. And here I am, and I've adopted the family values of God. Amen to that one? Amen. Now, that's the way it works. Now, number four, adopted people recover what was lost. This is the best point of all points. Adopted people recover what's lost. Look at verse six and seven. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In Him, we have redemption. We're going to get to that. It's a big word. Through His blood. The forgiveness. <clears throat> the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is who you are, guys. You've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Everything. According to the riches. Does God run out of riches? No. Of His grace. Grace never runs out. But He says, you're redeemed. Let me tell you what redeemed means. Listen. This is who you are. When you put your faith in Christ... Redeem means someone paid a ransom to free you from slavery, transported you out of that, and now you're free to walk in a new, whole new way of life. Anybody like that one right there? Now let me, let me give you more definition of all what this really means. Let me, let me drive it down. Verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance. That's key, inheritance. Having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things. After the counsel of his will. So now we see have an inheritance. So not only, here, write this down. It's in your notes. Write it down. 
It's in the screen. Redemption is not only a covering for my sins, but redemption is a recovering of God's inheritance to every one of us. Am I right? Let me tell you what it means, because you're not getting it, I don't think. Anybody here make some pretty bad mistakes before you're a Christian or even during a Christian and you blew up a piece or pieces or big parts of your life? Anybody? Raise your hand. I want to see that. Besides myself, I'll raise my foot. Let me tell you what I know about you and about me. You came to Christ. High expectation. Good. But you do wonder about something at times. may not be for long spans, but you do wonder at times. Because I wonder the same things. See, you all have a blank in your life that you'd like God to fill. It's something that you have maybe wondered, God, I blew that before I met you or even after I met you. I made bad decisions. I didn't follow the book. And I messed up this or I messed up that. And I know you're a redeeming God that you cover my sins. But can you really recover what I've lost? And the answer is, yeah. It may not be with the same person. It may not be the same circumstances. But whatever you lost and whatever's not there that you once had, God can restore and bring it back. Any amens? Amen. He can do all that. That's part of this massive inheritance in Jesus Christ that he has for you. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand up right now. 